0: may not know where you could break out or uh, you may think, well, every base is covered and that type of thing. And it's not. The myth of a larger church is that we have all the money we need and you're not reading the bulletin because we're running 30,000 in the red. Do you ever see the bulletin? You see that chart that Tim makes charts for us? Well, I just want to let you know that we're not making it up. So, uh, you that Just inherited money? Give it. Uh, And, uh, I mean, we have needs. And so that's before you. And the matter of service, everything from security uh, to teaching classes, youth, children, adults, it goes on and on. And uh, you may need to have a physical before you join this church, see if you have enough health. But there's plenty to do. But don't say, but then you may say, Where do you break in? I'm new. I don't know what... Well, we have this enlistment ministry that Suzette oversees, and uh, this is a remarkable story of Grace herself. Uh, Leo came to this church, uh, a boy away from home in God, uh, a couple in the midst of getting a divorce, and in the midst of that, God uh, saves Suzette, saves the marriage, restores Leo, And here they were raising four children. Uh, Two have already graduated from college, almost. And so let her tell you why she's a servant. Why don't you greet them, Suzette?
1: Well, thank you, Pastor. Um, I am here representing Enlistment Ministry. And today and the next couple Sundays, we are hosting the uh, Volunteer Emphasis um, Sundays. And... We bring that to you for a couple of reasons. Um, let me, Before I do that, let me point out a little bit and describe uh, what enlistment ministry is all about and what we're hoping to accomplish. Several years ago, shortly after I got saved, uh, Pastor, and I don't know if he still remembers that, but he had mentioned it in the pulpit that he wished there was somebody that could put together people who are looking for a place to serve and fill the need that the ministry leaders are hoping to fill. And at that time, I was very very involved with uh, staffing and recruiting in the financial district. And I said, hmm, I do this for a living. I I can certainly do that here, except there's no money to it other than, guess what? Eternity and my eternal reward, serving the Lord. So um, I went on to... To stepped up and said, I'll do that, Pastor, and I didn't really know where to take it, but God provided, and here we are. Today, I still get involved with recruiting and staffing. Um, I do mostly executive searches, but um, I still um, continue on doing that whole matching thing, and here I am before you, seeking to help you and serve you in that same capacity, but this time only doing it for him, not for money. I, I just do it just to pay the bills, my recruiting job. So, um, so moving along to Volunteer Emphasis Sundays, why did we decide to do Volunteer Emphasis? For a couple reasons. In a church as huge as this, it's hard to find uh, a place where you can really have a good understanding of what the various needs are. Even when we have the enlistment office, I think it's hard for you to go in there and say, oh, there's a need for this, there's a need for this. So today and in the next couple Sundays, we have this booklet which uh, outlines uh, the various needs, the current needs, and that is not to say that there will be more coming up. And so I encourage each and every one of you to pick this up and see if there's— God will touch your heart, and uh, you sign up and serve. It's as simple as that. Just let God— Touch your heart. I can't do it. Only God can. And the other way to do that is that we, the other reason we wanted the volunteer emphasis is that we have many needs. And, and you'll see in this booklet, there are many needs. It's sometimes very overwhelming because I myself is a volunteer. I have a family. Um, it's overwhelming to know that there's so many needs and there's only a few workers who have stepped up and said yes to God, our Father. So we have year-round needs, teachers from children's ministry, all the way to worship, to youth. Uh, You know, we have uh, young adults. We have reach-out ministry, which we did um, a huge event yesterday, and I know most of us are very probably tired. But um, it's great to be a part and to be used by God like that. I am a very broken vessel, but for God to use me, it is a privilege and an honor he can just pass me up if I didn't step up. He'll find somebody else to continue the work of his kingdom. And the same for you. He'll pass you up. So just say yes. Yeah, Yes. We'll find the best opportunity that fits your schedule, that accommodates your various needs, and we'll work with you. We'll try and see what can work best for you. Um, in this booklet, and I want to give you what, Um, I had written which really illustrates the heart of enlistment ministry and why we're doing this. Enlistment ministry seeks to serve you. We will assist and support you in your search for a place of service. Together, together, not Pastor Phil, not Pastor Hurtado, not Pastor Dave, not Carolyn, not Pastor Tim, not them alone, but together together We will continue the work of this body, reaching lives for Christ. And I do want to uh, point out that we are created to be servants. Christ exemplified servanthood, and through, uh, through Him, we can do what He had sought out, had placed in your heart to do. And I want to quote um, Warren Wiersbe. The five words in the New Testament translated ministry refer to servanthood or service given in love. Given in love. I would not have loved anyone if I didn't have Christ. I love and I want to serve you because I have Christ, because he created me to be such. Serving others is the very essence of ministry. As believers, we are called to ministry, to be servants for his glory and his alone. Thank you, and I will look for you outside. I can't wait for you guys to say yes to him.
0: We can hire you for the tech ministry. Well, why should you serve God? What a question. Um, I just sat down and wrote down 10 reasons why, but it's not the sermon. Can you, with that, is that okay with you? You better believe it's okay. Um, Let me just rattle off these 10 things. Uh, Don't worry about getting all the points, but I I just was thinking, why do I serve God And so I just wrote out, number one, uh, John 13, Christ is my model. He's my hero. And he said, imitate what I do. Do what I do. I stoop to serve. Uh, Join me. I left you an example. Two, Jesus said in Matthew 20 through 28, if you want to be great, become a servant. And most of you have settled for whatever. Uh, But he said, greatness is serving. If you want to be first, be the slave of all. Horrendously counterculture, isn't it? That's what he said, Matthew 20. He said in Luke chapter 22, my third reason, is that uh, Christ was among us as one who served. And we're told to follow in his steps in 1 Peter 2. Matter of fact, 1 Peter 5, when he addressed the elders, he said, gird yourselves up to serve, and he used the term that Jesus girded himself and took the towel and washed their feet. Nothing has ruined preachers more than wanting to be first without serving. I was blown away recently when I heard John Piper say he had never put one degree he'd earn on the wall and he went to europe one of the leading scholastic schools got his phd there picked up four languages hebrew greek latin and german besides english and you're not going to put the degree on the wall i have to because you wouldn't believe i earned it (laughs) but he said all he wanted to be known for as a pastor-servant. Even the titles of Paul. Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, and by the way, an apostle. I get around some men, you would not believe all the titles they have for themselves, none of which include servant. Uh, Christ emptied himself and he told me to be thanking like him at all times. Philippians 2.5. Let this way of thinking be in you constantly. Fifthly, Romans 6 said, Present your members as instruments of righteousness like you used to present it to sin, now present it to God that he may use you for righteousness. Romans 6. Uh, the sixth reason is uh, Romans 6.16. No longer be used for unrighteousness, but be used for righteousness. Uh, Here's an interesting thing. My seventh reason is my body doesn't belong to me. No believer. My body's become a hangout place for God. And I just thought, I don't buy a car for a car to tell me it doesn't want to go where I want to go. Somebody's in charge. And it's not the instrument. It's the hand. So God bought you. Why didn't God just save you and kill you? You'd been a lot less worried to him. Get you to heaven. If that's all God wants to do is get people to heaven, he should have killed you the night you got saved. And look at all those sins you wouldn't have committed. Look at all that ups and downs you've been delivered from. No, God designed to do something with a saved person's body that brings him glory in this world. That's why you're still alive. Amen? He's got a reason. Uh, Heaven, you've already got heaven made if you really put faith in Christ, right? So why are you still breathing here? So, you know, if we really believed in heaven, we couldn't get anyone to stay here. You can meditate. Um... Everything we do in the body is to bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether I eat or drink. By the way, does God get any glory out of the way you eat and drink? He said when you do it, you ought to think. And the word there for glory means, does it give a good opinion of God? Does God's reputation become enhanced just even when you eat and drink? Well... All the titles Paul used, I'm a slave, I'm a servant, on and on. But I want to give you the three reasons Paul gives us in Romans 12. Turn to Romans 12. I begin reading. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And stop being poured into the mold of this age, but be metamorphoses, transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove experientially, find out what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service, in his serving. Or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. This is God's word. Paul has been spending 11 chapters describing the grace and mercy of God in salvation to both Jew and Gentile. He says something profound. He picks up the theme of mercy in chapter 9 of which many believers have ripped out of their Bible because it makes them mad and they don't believe it. I believe it. I can't explain it nice enough so you'll like it, but I believe it. Let's turn to Romans 9. I told my wife I had come to believe in election. She said, I don't believe that stuff. And uh, as I went to teach uh, a class, I said, honey, for your devotions, why don't you please read Romans 9? I'll never forget that night walking through the door in Livermore, California. She was standing at the screen door when I got home. And she, I, I never got to say anything. She simply said, it's there, isn't it? I said, what's there? This is what's there. Verse 14. What shall we save in? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. This is called the free will of God. You believe in that? This is God's free will. I have mercy on whoever I want. That's okay, isn't it? Will we give God that permission? Well, then he says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you. And that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires. And he hardens whom he desires. Why did God save you and not that nice buddy you ran with? You know you were the orneriest one. Do you think the saints are the nicest people on the earth? Ooh, honey, you don't know them like I do. And I've seen them after God changed them. You ought to have seen them before God got a hold of them. He told Israel, I didn't choose you because you were easy to get along with, Israel. You're stubborn, stiff-necked, hard to get along with people, but I still chose you. And if you don't think God's merciful, just look around and see who he chose. You don't like Israel? A lot of folks, most folks don't like Israel. They hate Israel. Anti-Semitism has never been stronger. And I asked a Jewish doctor friend of mine, a believer, I said, what did you think of Gentiles when you grew up in New York City? He said, I knew they would kill me any chance they got. That's how I grew up. If they ever get the power again, they'll kill me, even on the streets of New York. My parents survived the Holocaust. I know the Gentile world only tolerates me. They don't want me. I'm a Jewish boy. But God chose them. He didn't choose any other nation. He didn't choose America. He chose Israel. And he's got a future for Israel. And let all the Hitlers and the Hamans and the Herods do all they want. God's purpose will not be defeated. Well, he goes on. Back to verse 22. Oh, no, let's say 21. Does not the potter have right? Well, no, no, no. That's not fair. That's That's why I need two hours, Deborah. It's on you guys. You will say to me in verse 19, Why does he still find fault for who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Vessels of mercy are people God has saved, and he saved them because he chose them. You, people of God, are vessels of mercy. And there's vessels out there of wrath fitted for destruction, fitted to someday be separated from the God they hate for eternity. But see, this is the thing that alarms me. I hated him at one time, but he delivered me because he had mercy on me. Mercy means to spare you the consequences of your sin. And it cost Jesus his life to spare you what you deserve. Every one of us deserve death and eternity from God because of our sins. But Christ says, I'm going to have mercy, but it's going to cost you. It's not going to cost you. It's going to cost me. I thought as I was going to the barbecue, it kept saying, free barbecue. Well, I'm on the elders team that pays for this. It ain't free. (laughs) Somebody's paying for this. But it won't be anybody that comes to the party. Nobody that walked off the streets of Rodeo yesterday paid a dime to have a great day, a great meal, lots of music, lots of games, because Valley Bible emulated the cross. Come to the Feast of Salvation. It won't cost you a dime. Just come. Just come. God paid the bill. And so he's gone along here. We come to chapter 11. He talks about, I show mercy on them. I don't have time to read it to you. Verse 26 through 36. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Then he comes to chapter 12. By the way, because of God's mercies, I beg of you, respond to God this way. All he wants you to do is to give him what's left. Give him your body. Give him your body. And it's holy, it's acceptable to God, it's reasonable, it's an act of worship. Give yourself to God, and in the midst of it, refuse to think like the age which says live for yourself, live for your hobbies, live for your kingdom. Live in response to the God who showed you mercy. I want to serve God because I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for having mercy on me. Guilt is a terrible motivator. It works sometimes, but it doesn't sustain. And that's why you break all your New Year's resolutions within a week. Guilt will get you to watch what you eat the first week, but it seems to wear out. And you move to different motivations, the pleasure of eating, food, uh, exercise for a week. The muscle gets sore. You say, that's not supposed to do that. Well, you haven't used it for 10 years. <laughs> say, that muscle didn't even know it was still there. And he said, no, no, no. If it brings you any soreness, this is out of the will of God for me. Guilt won't keep you motivated. Will mercy. Has God been merciful to you? I think of us, um, a bunch of us went to the side of one of our brothers dying of AIDS in San Francisco. Uh, was in the hospital last moments. Got to AIDS at bathhouses in the 60s, but became a Christian later on never could get rid of the disease, and was dying. But you know what God had said to him all those saved years that he was a believer? Give me what's left. Give me what's left. Some of you, we got a brother that serves in Colombia. He's got four types of hepatitis. He's right now building another church in the midst of Columbia. Uh, he's pastoring it, and he's building this church with 10 women and two men digging out all these trenches for the cement. And he's down there, and when George came to our church, he's nothing but a hippie, nothing but a guy that had been in the drug culture. And now he's down there, he's about, uh, he's probably nearly 60, but living with four kinds of hepatitis, and says, if I die, I going to die in this jungle trying to tell people about the God that saved me in the Bay Area. Mercy deserves a sacrifice. Why serve God? Because I want to say thank you forever for making me a vessel of Mercy. You chose to spare me the consequences of my sin, my rebellion, and my whole background. Let me tell you, where would you be had mercy not found you? Where would you be? Well, the second reason that you ought to uh, serve God is you ought to be living out the mind of Christ. Christ. And if you think like Christ, you must be a servant because he was the suffering servant. And that's what he says in verse 3. For through the grace given to me, uh, I'm telling all of you, don't let anyone think too highly of himself. Don't uh, have these inflated views of yourself. A lot of people don't serve because they're too proud to serve. Uh, It's against them to serve. It's beneath them, whatever goes on. Maybe they're afraid of failing. Uh, all, all the reasons, I, wouldn't t- I couldn't tell you, but there's a pride there. Uh, you, you're asking me to serve? Me? Uh, you're asking me to fail, maybe, or uh, you want me to uh, help children? You want me to usher, help with security? You cannot believe how much stuff gets you done around here just because people make their body available. Uh, I mean, our security team has exploded. Uh, Robert Linway's headed that up, uh, and just doing wonderful. We don't want our cars broken into. Uh, I've never had more bodyguards in my whole life. That's why no one shakes my hand. Uh, I think like the coffee thing. Uh, that all went away, and. Uh, we got into some kind of catch, whoever, I think it was Greg Chan was doing it, and they moved, and so it was just going by the way, and one of our deacons, Gene, and you say, well, hey, I'll do it. All it needs is a body, right? I can get here at seven in the morning. I can make coffee. I can, Gene, you're into insurance and bonds and a mutual fund. You're in the financial world. You're not into the uh, hospitality world. He said, this church I am. Because he said, I've been delivered from being an egomania. I've been turned into a servant. I saw that in my own brother David. He was into politics and doing good on his job, going up. But in our early days at the church, he and friend they waxed that hall, that dance hall, they would wax it on Saturday. We didn't pay anybody. They waxed it, and the Willifords helped them. Mop, wax, whatever it takes, and I don't wear a badge that I'm on the fire department when I'm down here. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ when I'm here. I wonder if you'd be offended if I wrote to you and I said, Dear Slave of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Would that bother you? That's what Paul addressed his letters. I, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ and an apostle. Peter wrote the same way. 2 Peter 1.1. Peter a slave of Jesus Christ, an apostle. Jude, who shared a bedroom with Jesus, he was his half-brother. He starts his epistle. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I'm his brother. Physical brother. Mary had more children than Jesus. He had brothers and sisters. The mercies of God is supposed to say, here's my body, take and use it any way you want, take what's left, and because of that, a humility of mind that is not beneath me to serve. I have to read you a missionary quote that I thought was just overwhelming. Let me just lay my hands on it here. Oh, listen, listen. When James Calvert went out as a missionary to the cannibals in the Fiji Islands. The ship captain tried to turn him back, saying, You will lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among such savages. To that, Calvert replied, We died before we came here. We died before we came here. John Patton, Scottish Presbyterian, wanted to go to the New Hebrides Islands, the islands off of Australia. And in the sending away ceremony, one of the staunch Calvinistic Presbyterians at that council stood up and said, John, this is stupid and foolish for you to go to those uh, cannibalistic islands. Why, you'll be nothing but eaten by savages. John Patton stood up and he said, addressed the man by name, Sir, and you will remain in Scotland and be eaten by worms. What difference does it make if it's savages or worms? I want to die in the pursuit of the will of God. Some of you are going to die with money, overweight, too much videos, too much time on your hands, and, uh, and miserable. While other men will have died in the vineyard of God, exhausted and tired, and glory to his name fulfilled. Because if God calls us to be his servants, don't stoop to be a king. To be employed by the hero of all. I was reading the Bible the other day, and I thought, God, there's no heroes in this book. And God says, you're right, just me. The rest are a bunch of weak, flawed men that I forgave, I rose up, I healed. Guess what? Every one of them are flawed. The only virtue they had is they finally believed God on a few things. Do it my way. And when they did it God's way, God came through. God is the hero of his own story. But aren't you glad the hero wants you on his team? He wants to use you. Much of American Christianity has become a theater where you come and flop in a seat and you watch a few stars. And they better sing right. They better sing the right volume, the right songs, the right tempo. And the preacher better know how to do it right, right. When did you get that? Church has become a building and a place and it was meant to be a people. We are the people who have been redeemed by mercy. I don't need a place, and I don't need a choir, and I don't need all these surroundings. I need the Redeemer. I live to his praise and to his glory, and I don't need everybody trying to tell me how I can worship. Don't. I'm over. I had a guy correct me all the time on worship. I said, you need to shut up, for when you were hanging out in bars, I was in prayer meetings. You haven't hung out with God long enough to teach me very much about worship. Matter of fact, you're one of the proudest men I know, and only people who hang out with God get humble. See, we know who the people in this church that know God well. They're the humblest people in the church. The proud ones don't know him well. They just think they do. Because you can't hang out with greatness and be impressed with yourself. Then he goes on, the third reason you ought to give him your life and service is he's giving you a spiritual gift to serve him with. First Peter says, 4, 10, and 11, every believer has received a special gift from God. They come into two categories, according to Peter, speaking gifts and then serving gifts. Well, all the gifts are service But by speaking gifts, that would be the evangelists, prophets uh, in the New Testament, tongues, uh, let's say exhorters, teachers, pastors. Okay, in that category, the mouth is primarily how God uses them. They have a gift at the mouth that has a divine effect in the hearer, that serves their need, meets their need. Other gifts are serving, like uh, like we saw yesterday, people picking up chairs, serving meals, preparing food, uh, physical labor. Uh, it's our word for deacon. Anything that was physical, it's broad. Uh, do whatever needs to be done. Uh, teach classes without claiming the gift. Whatever needs to be done, and they they help. They administrate, they organize, they have mercy, they give, but it's not tied to the mouth. So here in Romans, he just gives us a sampling of some of the gifts. Other places, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. uh, There's about 20 gifts mentioned in the Bible. The debate is, are there more? Uh, Probably. I don't know. But if we just have the 20... Uh, And listen to what he says. Uh, God has given the gift of prophecy to some of you. And if you have that gift, uh, use it according to the amount of faith God gave you. You know, it's interesting. God gave you enough faith with your gift to use it from now on. There's just enough faith for you to exercise your gift. you you got all the faith you need to be functional. To trust God. To believe God for your function in the body. Now, prophecy. Uh, we have the debate running with charismatic groups. Many groups today, not just charismatics, believe there's still prophets in the church. I used to think I was a prophet, and sincerely so. What scared me is some things I prophesied happened. Uh, Carolyn's a witness. It, uh, it really did. Uh I understand the gift of prophecy is one who receives divine revelation directly and then speaks it to the people of God. Now, as I grew up among my Pentecostal brothers, you know, we would tongues, prophesy, and and people like Wayne Grudem and everything, they've turned prophecy into uh, a word from God for the moment, kind of like a scripture for the moment. Well, in that broad usage, if that's how you defined it, oh, sure, we have that. But I understand it, getting a direct word from God, speaking it to you, and the foundation of the church was built on apostles and prophets. Now, 20th century later, I don't think we're still building the foundation. I think it's been laid way back there. But now, now, not, not, let, me, let me ask you this. Uh, I don't speak by divine revelation. And all of you have been wanting to amen me for a long time. Would you say that? <laughs> amen. You don't listen to me anyway. I, I'm preaching into your sleep. Uh, and, but you know what? The majority, you know why you come to this church? You believe if a man takes this book and explains it and applies it to your life, you'll let them say things about you in public you let nobody else say about you. You know why? You're Bible believers. You you don't even, you don't necessarily like me. You don't have to like me. You don't have to like the messenger. That's a bonus. You don't have to like the messenger, but just say, when you, when you open that Bible, and you start explaining it, I start hearing God. And a lot of times, you know why pastors leave churches, people quit hearing God through them. They just hear a mad, man, and people stay mad at him. Because they don't believe the Bible anyway. The authority is a man, not the Bible. You know what? I don't preach by divine revelation, but I preach revelation. I got a revelation from God right there. I said, I preach revelation. But you could test it for yourself to see if I'm making it up or not. Isn't that nice? I was preaching at a Pentecostal meeting one time in Sunnyvale. And right in the middle of the sermon... I was a Pentecostal preacher at the time. And right in the middle of it, a woman jumped up and started talking in tongues and prophesying. I said, please sit down. Sit down. It was a big meeting. A- and that was like quenching. The- I said, sit down. God doesn't interrupt himself. I'm giving you all the words you can stand right now. We don't need another word. I sure enough got a word from God. Honey, ain't, ain't any more sure than this. What, come on, well, loosen up. You know, amen. I, when I'm gone one week, you get so quiet. Do you believe any of this stuff? Let me know. Let me know. If you don't believe it, you're in the wrong church. And I can tell you where some good churches are. I believe it, there's prophets. Uh, uh, there's a church in Belial, they got an apostle for a pastor. <laughs> I won't tell you. Round here, we're just preachers, teachers, exhorters, evangelists, and we got all the revelation we can handle. Some of you say, Lord, speak to me. And he's saying, "Why well, you're too lazy to hear it. How much speaking do you want? Some of you need just get an audio Bible because you don't read it. I want to hear your voice. I beseech you by the mercies of God, give me your body. Do you hear me? Well, I want a more a little kinder word. Well, give me your body. <laughs> and, and, and and be so humble in your mind that being a servant doesn't insult you. And three. Start using the gifts that I gave to you. Start using them for me. And if I made you a prophet, prophesy. I asked my dad one time, how do you know, how does a guy know when, he, uh, when he's called to preach? I remember my father was not educated. He wasn't brilliant. He said, he preaches. <laughs> Come on, dad. You need to enroll at Dallas. No. I I, I said, Dad, let me ask the question again. How does a man know when he's called to preach? He preaches. He can't help it. Even though he can't say can't, he can't help it. And what's amazing, if God gives you a gift to preach, he gives somebody the gift to listen. Because if you get up and claim some big gift, and all we do is snore when you get up. I've seen some Bible teachers, who they open their Bible, ether comes off the page. I'm bored as they read the passage. Oh, man, that's a gift? That, boredom is not a gift. Well, I'm meddling. Let's keep going here. Uh, if, you got, if you're a prophet, do it according to the faith. If God's giving you the gift of service, And this is specifically uh, to do any kind of service. Uh, Julio in our church, anywhere anything needs to be done, he's out there cooking yesterday. Odie, so many people. Just uh, serve anywhere you need to be served. It's not specialty, to serve. And and, uh, we had an era in our church where everybody wanted to know their gift. I I can't serve until I know my gift, and... One day it came to me. I didn't know, I didn't have to learn to call my lungs lungs before they function. They didn't need to be titled. Don't worry about what gift you've got. When you're doing nothing, you don't have any gift. You'll have to get in motion. Then let us call it what it is. But see, a lot of church life is this way. Howard Hendricks always used the illustration. says, it's like a football game where 50,000 overweight, beer guzzling guys come and watch the Pittsburgh Steelers and, uh, uh, or some other team. And uh, they, have you ever seen them? They know the batting averages, they know the score. And I've seen guys, oh, he dropped it. He doesn't know how to catch how much you weigh in these days? You're what, 5'1", 300 pounds? When's the last time you did a chin-up? Can you do a push? No, but my specialty is telling them they ought to cut it. You see, 50,000 fans need exercise and about 12 guys need a rest. And that's the modern church. We're watching everybody up here, tongue hanging out, doing five jobs, and some of you just, all you can do is criticize. Well, you ain't catching the ball. You don't run fast enough. You ain't pleasing me. You ain't saying, what, 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 what role do you play in the church besides criticism? There's no gift to criticism the last time I checked. But Americans like to be treated like customers, even in the church. Serve me, serve me, serve me. Why don't you listen to Jack Kennedy's speech? Don't ask what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And don't ask what this church can do for you. What can you do for us? And if that spirit prevails among us, no need will go unmet because we'll all be engaged, right? And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I said it's it's wonderful, yeah. <laughs> boy. You backslide every time I leave. He he who is teaching, be doing his teaching. He who exhorts, which means the ability to motivate, encourage, come alongside and and, and give a word to just keep running. He who gives, do it with liberality, which means wholeheartedness that your whole being. He who leads with haste or diligence, uh, you pay attention to it, Uh, you're not sitting around. Leaders have a bias for action. They're not always in meetings discussing. That's why entrepreneurs have little time for a bunch of meetings. Let's get it done. I, I can't tell you the role of a pastor of our church how many meetings I've set through in 42 years. And lots been done, but it is hard on the body just to set through me to discuss. And sometimes we've discussed it to death and still haven't done it. Leaders get it done. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness I believe my wife has the gift of mercy. I think that's why she married me. (laughs) She knew I needed it. But you know what I, watching her, uh, for years I visited hospitals I didn't want to visit because I married Sister Mercy. (laughs) And uh, I could be home just a day off. Oh, did you know someone's in the hospital? Yeah, honey, it's my day off. Well, they may die on your day off. I, I pray the Lord, welcome him at the gate. <laughs> you didn't know I had such a pastor's heart, did you? Don't die on my day off. That's all I'm saying. Just don't, don't die on my day off. And, uh, uh, but you know what I notice about it? Sometimes I'll go. I'll do it. My brother Paul's not worth spit. Don't get sick. He won't visit you at the hospital, right? He, he just see a need on the guy get sick. He's not built. David's good. I go because I married Sister Mercy. (laughs) But this is the thing that bothers me. I can visit and I did my duty. Do you know what I mean? You pay me to be good. The rest of you are good for nothing. (laughs) You know, something like that. Uh, But this is what bugs me about her. How cheerful she is in doing it. I'm over here saying, man, if you think I want to be around a bunch of IVs and bedpans and medicine, and, and I, God's called me to preach. <laughs> I want to get in the Word. I wonder what the Greek says. Say, Greek isn't your problem right now. Mercy is. And I notice mercy people have a divinely given cheerfulness about it. They could do some of the lowest, hardest, sometimes the sick patient, the last moments. The room odors don't bother them. Uh, There's just a a cheerfulness in it. Caroline went to see a dying woman at Brookside Hospital when it was Brookside. And I never forget the woman, going to die. She looked at Caroline and she just said, honey. When I see your face, I see the face of an angel. It was wonderful. I just wish I had a mic. But she turned from my wife, looked at me, and broke down crying. (laughs) I mean, really did. She looked at me. (laughs) I I thought, I'm not mercy, but I'm with her. God puts a flavor with every gift. Use it the way he wants you. Three reasons. Serve him because he's had mercy on you. Serve him because you've got the mind of Christ. Or you're going to get there. That's the only mind acceptable. Thirdly, serve him because he gave you a gift of some sort. And First Peter says he supplies the power and the energy to use that gift. The happiest people in this congregation are the servants. Sometimes they may look tired. There's a reason. I just saw this Time magazine just came in. I was going through my mail. And it says, the me, me, me generation. Millennials are lazy, entitled narcissists who love themselves and who still live with their parents. And the guy says, well, I think they'll save us all, which I think he's full of mud when you read what he says. But he describes children born 1980 on, uh, I want my tech, I want my entitlements, I want my phone, I want this, but I want to live with my folks, I want to live off of them, and I want to criticize the former generation. And, of course, every generation cre- uh, is negative about the second, but as Stein says, we have all kinds of research on millennial babies. And so we're in a culture to even talk service is an insult to American youth. Anybody, what would that make you? Make you 33 and younger. David Toddles, 33, 34. He's a millennial. But he signed up to serve a majestic Savior. So, what are you doing with your life? When we bury you, what do we put on the epitaph? He was the most self-centered, filthy, rich millionaire we've ever known, and his kids hate him. Is there anyone here that we could bury you, and all we could say on the epitaph is, "A servant of Jesus Christ"? Yeah. This world is scattered with burial places of thousands of saints that their only claim to fame was they got to serve under the Lord Jesus. Howard Hendricks uh, never could win his dad to the Lord. His dad wouldn't listen. He was a hardened. A military man. But one of his students went to Philadelphia, and one day he's driving a bus, how he grew up in Philadelphia, and he was driving this bus some way or another. I don't know if he was a transit bus, however, but Howard Hendricks' dad was there, and this guy saw the resemblance to his prof at school, stopped the bus, went out, introduced himself, wound up having coffee, wound up leaving Howie Hendricks' dad to the Lord. The day he accepted Christ, he simply went to attention and saluted the guy and says, I'm reporting for duty. I just signed up under Captain Jesus. I'm reporting. You know what? When did you sign up? Are you AWOL? Today, we've got tables in a church this size. Many could say, I don't know where to get started. I don't know what needs to be done. I don't do. We formed the enlistment ministry. They've got all kinds of forms, all kinds of different ministry needs. We want to help you. We want to show you the path. And all you need to do So when I pray a dismissal prayer, you just go back there. A man came to me two weeks ago crying right there. And he says, I can resist no longer. I've shunned God long enough. It's time I move out of passivity and get in the yoke. If you get in the yoke with Christ, by the way, servants run with servants, and that's why Jesus said, get in my yoke, and I can teach you to be a servant. If you run with critics, you'll be a critic. If you run with servants, you'll be a servant. Our Father, thank you for mercy. Thank you for the mind of Christ. Thank you for the gifts you've entrusted to us. May this church, may every member become involved in serving. For I thank in my own heart if not now, when? If not us, who? Time is running out, the harvest is plenteous, but the labors have always been few. Speak, Lord of the harvest, speak, speak. Deliver us from our love of pleasure, love of money, love of self, position, pride, pride, pride. In opulent, prosperous, whining America, let us overcome the cultural attitude and be turned into servants of the most high God. We want to serve you and we want to say with Daniel, I will not bow. I will not bow. For those Hebrew boys, I will not bow. I just soon burn as to bow to this culture. For I've been captured to be a slave of him who bought me. For his glory, for his honor. In Jesus' name, amen.